0: So I'm going to take a, a personal moment and uh, just want to honor my daughter who's sitting down. She's in the middle there. She graduated from high school last night. So, yeah. And uh, as a dad, I get to do this because I get a microphone. Um, this has been pure joy. Um, to watch you grow into the person that God's created you to be. Um, There's been some wonderful, beautiful highs and some real low lows. But above all, the reason I'm doing this publicly is because um, parenting is absolutely, by the grace of God, it is... Um, his faithfulness from beginning to end and um, yeah God has a wonderful and beautiful future for my daughter so super excited I got my parents here that were celebrating so just thank you we want to mark that for you um, but just to realize that um, I think our kids flourish most of the time despite us um, uh, now having one out of high school I really thought I would be a better parent than I was um, yeah so it's humbling but proud of you sweetie All right, John chapter 8. So I don't know if you noticed, but um, it rained a little bit this week, right? And um, I had the humbling experience of, so I drive a Chevy Avalanche, which kind of looks like a manly truck but I actually got it stuck in my own driveway and so um, if you've ever seen my house like we live on this hill and you know because I want to be a kind dad and husband I let the ladies park in the driveway so I parked in the mud um, but I had the humbling experience of getting stuck and when that happens you have two options all right so the The option that is always most appealing to me would just be to call some random wrecker service and to have them actually pull my truck out because then i don't have the humiliating experience of asking one of my friends for help and uh, so there's just this man code so if you have a truck and you see someone else stuck like you're obligated to kind of help them get out and um, in that scenario i just want to make it clear like if you If you are the one that's pulling the person out, like that's kind of the scenario that you want to be in instead of being the one that is actually stuck. And so I had that experience um, and actually uh, Tim Williams, who's been doing a lot of the renovations here at the church came by and he gave me a pull out. And um, it really was nothing more than just, you know, humbling myself and asking for help in that situation. So being stuck is, you know, not that big of a deal when it's your vehicle, but um, when we get stuck spiritually, if we're honest, we can go days, weeks, months, and years stuck in the same patterns of thought and belief, and if we're honest, we don't know how to get out, right, and so oftentimes in those situations, we turn to, maybe I should pray some more maybe i should try to read some more scripture maybe i could pick up a new habit and all that all in that scenario we kind of lose track of what actually gets us stuck in the first place psychologist carl jung says the following he says until you make the unconscious conscious it will direct your life and you will call it fate and so we all have patterns of thinking and patterns of believing that leads to patterns of living and for most of us those things are unconscious and when you lay that over and against the the grid that we get in scripture and as we look at John chapter 8 there are lies that all of us believe about who God is And who we are and how the world actually works. And we can stay stuck for a long period of time and we end up actually focusing on the wrong things. And so, what we're going to see this morning as we look at John chapter 8 is this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are growing jealous of Jesus because he has this growing following. And basically, they're questioning his paternity. You know, they're saying, hey, no one even knows. who your father is, you are a product of an unwed mother and um, and all of these things. And Jesus fires right back and says, Listen, you are of your father the devil. You know? So I mean this is like a, a pretty intense exchange. But as we look at this exchange, what you're gonna understand is the the power that comes through deception, and that's the main way that Satan works in our lives, is to deceive us, but most of the time we don't even know that we're being deceived, and we're going to see the freedom that actually comes from truth, and so we're going to see that as we look at John chapter 8, we're going to read verses 31 to 47, so Jesus said to the Jews, Who had believed him. If you abide in my word and you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and never have been enslaved to anyone. How is it? that you say you will become free. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the off- I know you are offspring of Abraham yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. That's an important phrase. His his words find no place in them. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And here's Jesus. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. And I heard that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's. Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I will tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you will cut through the enormous power of deception in this room. Um, I pray that you would expose our hearts to the truth of your word and the truth in your son and that we would be set free. I pray that you would allow us to experience the victory of Jesus on the cross on our behalf that has disarmed all the rulers and powers and authorities. And I pray that you would make an open spectacle of them as I proclaim the truth. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees really gives us a picture into the freedom that comes from truth and the power that comes from deception. And the first thing that we're going to see this morning is that lies are the enemy's primary strategy from keeping us from the freedom that we were designed for. The primary weapon that the enemy uses against us are lies. Look at verse 44. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So just this one verse shows us both the source of every lie that exists in the universe and the strategy of our enemy to destroy our very souls, right? I mean, this is a sobering reality. I mean, it says that he is, the enemy is the father of lies. It's all he can do, it's his very character. He specializes in misinformation and manipulation of the truth, half truths which actually are lies. And all of those things he does to us so that we would be unfruitful in our knowledge and our application of following Jesus. He wants to make us what Martin Lloyd Jones calls miserable Christians, right? Like where he can keep us enslaved, where the outside world would look and say, hey, I don't ever want to be like that because. Um, just of the degree of sorrow and pain. But the truth that this passage communicates to us is not only the power that comes from deception, but the freedom that sets us free. The truth is that Jesus actually came to set us free, that he actually came to destroy the works of the devil, and he actually wants to do that in your life today. But the truth that we have to get underneath before that is to understand that there are real lies that are holding us back to experiencing all the things that God has for us. And he's here, and he's present by the power of his Spirit to set us free. The lies of the enemy can keep us becoming enslaved to our past. I mean, there are things that exist in all of our stories that we would rather edit out. And the enemy is a master manipulator wanting to use those things to keep us from experiencing the goodness and the grace of God in the present. He wants to use fear whatever you're facing right now to keep you unfruitful in your knowledge and your application of what it means to follow Jesus. And what he wants most of all for us is to be unhopeful towards the future. Because if we do that, we're going to just withdraw and we don't have anything to offer the world. And so this freedom is here to set us free. And I just had this picture from John chapter 11. It's just a few chapters over and it's Lazarus. He's in the tomb For four days, Jesus comes and Mary and Martha are weeping and Jesus comes and he cries and he calls Lazarus forth from the tomb and when he comes out, he's still in his grave clothes and he says, go ahead and take off his grave clothes so that he can walk and be free. And I think that's a real spiritual picture of where some people are this morning. Like you may have experienced resurrection life, but you are absolutely still bound by the grave clothes of death. And I think he wants to set us free through this series. It's interesting, the devil is called a murderer from the beginning. And the way that he murders, the way that he destroys is through lies, right? He hates God and everything that God loves, and that includes people that are made in his image. So from the Garden of Eden, he has been a murderer, and his goal is to destroy our very lives. And so lies are very serious. But what we have to understand is we are absolutely just as vulnerable as our first parents to believing lies. From that very first time that he uttered the words, did God really say, Right, that same lie is at the source of so many of our dysfunctions and our pain. Now, there's a way I think you can have an over fascination with the enemy. I mean, you can see him behind not getting a, a parking spot at the mall. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's overly concerned about if you get in J.C. or not. Um, but I don't really. I mean, to be honest, I, I think in years past I saw a lot of that but more than that, there is an underestimation of the battle that we face, right? The the reality is the the quickest way to lose a battle is to realize, to not realize that you're in one, right? And so this is a real constant source to keep us bound in the things um, that Really, he wants to keep us from being free as God has intended us. I read this wonderful book that really, that was the inspiration for the series it's called The Truth About Lies and Lies About the Truth from a man named David Tackle. And he says this, he says, unless we see the prevalence of deception in our everyday life, we will not focus our efforts on the right battles. Satan has relatively little power in this world apart from the lies that he can tell and the power that is released when we believe them. So, when you believe a lie, there is actual power over you that is released, right? And the more that we fall for the same lie, we become slaves, right? It's not just that we sin, it's that we believe lies about what's true about God, what's true about ourselves, and what's how the world actually works. And he twists and distort those things. And those are the things that actually lead us to unrighteousness. And I think it's instructive for us, the people that are the most easily deceived, who is it in this passage? It's the Pharisees, right? It's the Bible expert. So what we have to understand is that knowing the scriptures up here is no insulation from falling for the lies of the enemy. I mean, these people absolutely had the Bible memorized from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament. They knew it frontwards and backwards, and they missed the entire point, right? So what we want to move from is having an informative view of scripture to a transformative view of scripture where we partner with God and allow him to perform his word in us, right? Memorizing the Bible on its own will never save us, but allowing his Holy Spirit to come and to make those words, the words that we live and feast on will set us free. So sometimes the easiest people to deceive are the people that know the Bible the best. I'm not saying that not knowing the Bible is important. You must know what truth is, but truth is more than just knowing that John Adams is the second president of the United States. I mean, it's knowing that God loves you in the midst of real difficulties. So, and the truth is, Satan will often use the scriptures against us. I mean, you can even see the, that in the life of Jesus, Luke chapter 4, right? I mean, he, he takes scripture and he misapplies it and wants to tempt Jesus to find another way other than the cross. So, I mean, maybe you've had an experience like this. I mean... Sunday morning, leaving the house, you're looking for your Bible. You find that it's exactly where you left it the last week, and you realize, and I haven't touched that thing since last week, and here I am supposed to be going into the household of God. And he reminds you, oh, that's supposed to be a treasure to you. Some treasure it is, right? Why are you going to try to be with all of these other people? You're a hypocrite. You might as well just stay at home. Right? And that's taking a true thing, which is Scripture is a treasure, and it's an invitation to come and to feast and to marvel. But what he does is turn that into a way of condemning us instead of keeping us from the meal that God has actually invited us to experience. So he uses Scripture against us, and there's oftentimes an element of truth but what you have to understand is that a half truth is still a lie right and dallas willard says that unbelief is belief in a lie right it's not just this vacuous experience where we're struggling to believe if you're saying i'm having a hard time trusting god the flip side of that is you are buying into a lie. And we have to understand that that is the very nature of the Christian faith, is to reject lies and to embrace the truth. But oftentimes we fight these battles on our own, and so we end up struggling alone. There's a real difference between what we believe and what we say we believe, right? It's very easy to say, and it rolls off the tongue, that God is good, that God is good all the time. But each of us have faced situations this week that would make us question the goodness of God. There's not a person in this room that has not been tempted to think, if God is really good, then why is, you can fill in the blank, right? All of us have a blank. And the reason that that experience is universal is because the presence and the power of deception is universal, right? I mean, there is a real enemy that's always going to question the character and the nature of God. David Tackle also says this. He says, I can hold deep resentments towards God because of things that have happened in my life, which I think he should have prevented in some way. Yet when I asked, I might tell myself and others I believe God is always good because that's what I'm supposed to believe. And even more in the Bible Belt, I might even be able to quote verses that support that, right? So what you really believe is not what you espouse with your mouth, right? Even the demons would get an A in systematic theology, right? What you believe is what you live out. And so what we want to do is invite God into the spaces of our hearts where we are vulnerable to lies and allow him to begin to bring hope into healing. He goes on to share the story of a woman named Carol. Carol's story is all of our stories. Um, Carol is a woman that has undergone difficulties She's very articulate about the things of God. She has Bible verses memorized. She probably has uh, a couple of Christian t-shirts to, just for an exclamation point. And, but when she experiences difficulty, and this is tied back to things that happened in Carol's past, she feels like God has abandoned her and left her and that she's extremely vulnerable So every experience for Carol, regardless of what she speaks out of her mouth, every time difficulty happens, it reinforces that lie that has poisoned her heart that God has left you and God has abandoned you, right? So in the midst of all of that, we all have areas in our life but God wants to come to us and he wants to set us free through the good news of Jesus so we experience his goodness and his grace, And the enemy targets us where we're already weak, right? Where we're already tempted to believe lies about who we are, lies about who he is. So I don't know when I first discovered this. It probably was uh, at least a year, a couple years ago. But I've noticed it a lot more these days. They're called targeted Facebook ads. And so um, I'll open up Facebook and I'll say something like, do you know how much money a 43-year-old should have saved for retirement? (laughs) <laughs> right and then i was like well that's oddly specific and then you know and then the next day it'll say something like seven things all 43 year olds should know and all of these things are targeted ads to try to get me to click on their article so that i will find some piece of truth now that's a silly example but i mean that's exactly what the enemy does he knows exactly where you're vulnerable. He knows the lies that you t- are tempted to believe, and he knows right where to get you to believe them, right? And so they go at us just like a targeted Facebook ad. We believe lies about ourselves. Have you ever walked in a room, right, and everyone's talking? They suddenly stop. What's your first reaction to think? They're talking about me, right? Right? Why is that universal? Because it is a lie of the enemy. It's natural for everyone to stop when someone turns in the the room. But we, because we're vulnerable, right? It depends on where we are. We either think, man, we're too much for people or we're not enough for people. And they're just real lies that all of us battle. And you just have to understand the person sitting next to you, the person preaching to you, has a battle to fight. But we have to realize that we're all in this together. And so here's a grid to kind of help us begin to understand where our beliefs come from. It's our experience, plus the interpretation that we make of that experience, and that's the most important thing, ends up being our internalized belief. This is what you actually believe, and this works for everything. I'll use uh, a funny example. I could use tons of painful ones. But this one, right, so... Second grade Chad is in a Christmas play, so this is the experience, and I think they put me in there without, they didn't tell me there was going to be singing in this particular play, Um, and I didn't know at second grade that I couldn't actually sing, and so they had me lip-sync during the Christmas play, like that's how bad it is. If you make a second grader lip-sync, I mean, I'm guessing it's pretty bad, but So my experience was telling me, like, you can't sing, but I'll tell you how that affected me. Like, when I became a Christian, and I had all this joy in my heart, and I wanted to sing, and I wanted to respond, but there's this voice in the back of my head, hey, you can't sing. Don't let anybody hear you sing, right? And now I just don't care anymore, and everyone can hear me sing, but, I mean, there's just this real... But you, you attach meanings, and, and a lot of times, and we're going to work through this in coming weeks, a lot of these things come to you in childhood, and you have these views of yourself and your views of God, and you are least capable of making those interpretations as a kid. And it's regardless of what the Bible actually says, those are the things that we end up believing about ourselves. So David Tackle says this, he says, often years after going through a traumatic event, and um, this is... Much more serious for most of us than singing in a Christmas play. There are lingering emotional and spiritual consequences that appear as a direct result of that experience. While it's true that trauma can result in long-term pain, it does so primarily through indirect means unless there are continuing physical problems. This is it. God, please help us. Most of the pain... We still feel years after a traumatic event comes not from the experience itself, but from the ways that we have interpreted that experience, beliefs that tell us terrible things about who we are, who God is, and what we can expect from life and others. Those lies are the real source of bondage because we believe them deeply and live as if they were true. Our early experience becomes something of a container for that lie. But the experience itself is no longer the main cause of the present pain. The lies that we believe are the real source of our distress. And we all have them. So, lies keep us in bondage. But the truth is, Jesus is here to set you free. Right? John chapter 8 says... He who the sun sets free is free indeed. But you have to recognize where lies are present inside of your story. And so you may have noticed on some of the seats around you there is a, a lies inventory. So I want you to go ahead and pull that out. Um, we're not necessarily going to fill those out, but this is a tool for you because we want you to understand where lies are present in your life. Um, You can take this on your own, and I would encourage you this week to maybe take the top five and just mark which ones are most prevalent for you. But just listen to a few of these, and you can go from zero, I never experienced that, to five, I often experience that, or lots of times. The first one says, I think God is disappointed in me. God seems very distant to me. I'm afraid of what God wants from me. I worry about what others think about me. I worry about finances. I despair over my feelings of powerlessness. I'm better off alone than trying to get close to others. I feel judgmental or contemptuous towards others. I compare myself to others and I feel as though I don't measure up. I have trouble forgiving myself for certain mistakes I've made. I have painful regrets about choices I've made. I'm really hard on myself. I worry about wasting my life. I feel cheated in certain areas of my life. And there are places in my life I simply think that God cannot heal. Right? So I encourage you to spend some time alone alone with God and the Holy Spirit in light of the gospel and ask, where do I believe some of these lies? Those are the places that God wants to come in, and those are the places that he wants to heal. So that's a a good indication where lies might actually be at work. But the truth is, Lies are not the end of the story. In the words of the the Jesus storybook Bible, there is a truth that overcomes the terrible lie, and it comes in the person of Jesus. He came to set us free. Look at verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus came so that we would experience freedom. Just a couple of chapters over, but what we have to understand is truth is not just a a concept. It's not just a a set of realities. Truth is a person. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The only way to experience freedom is in the presence of Jesus. It's not just learning things about him. It's not just hearing sermons. It's not just singing songs. It's allowing the healer and the lover of your soul to come into the dark spaces of our hearts and to bring wholeness and healing. And that's exactly what he came to do. John, First John chapter 3, verse 8 says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. That means that, that he does not want us to be bound. He, he wants to come in and he wants to erase the pain and the trauma of your childhood. He wants to come in and heal the fear that you have of the future. He wants to come in and he wants to bring wholeness and healing and peace. Revelation chapter says the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. They overcame him by... By the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. The only way that we can have confidence to approach a holy God is because He laid down His life for us. We get to experience wholeness and healing because He has made the unimaginably difficult possible through the gospel. The truth of Jesus was nailed to a cross so that we do not have to be bound. It says in Luke chapter 4 that he came to set the captives free, right? There is a such thing as real freedom. And when you are free, there is real joy to rejoice in him. There's real freedom from your past. There's real hope for the future. And that is why Jesus actually came into the world. So I want to begin We're going to do this over the next four weeks. I want to begin to give us a pattern for what it would look like to find wholeness and healing. So part one of the equation is to reject the lies. You're going to have to get in there, right? Just like you weed your garden, you're going to have to get in there, and you're going to have to pull them up, and you're going to have to identify what the lies are, and you're going to have to reject them. And we'll talk about this in a moment. But it's not going to be a one-time rejecting, right? I mean, there can be some real powerful moments, and I pray that you have one here today. But it's going to be a consistent over and over rejecting of things that are lies. You may not be able to identify the lies on your own, right? That's why we are here and we are in community. So reject the lies. And then this phrase that I picked up from John chapter 8, it's truth finding a place in you, Right? Look at verse 37. The reason that the Jesus' words were not profitable to the Pharisees, verse 37 says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Listen, this doesn't have to be a lengthy process, but it's probably going to take more than five minutes. Right? I'm not one to advocate for a certain amount of time, but I mean, There are lies that many of us have believed for decades, right? And it's going to take time to get in there and say, I forsake this lie, and I want your word to find a place or a home or a dwelling in me, and I want it to touch every part of me. So we reject the lies, we allow truth to find a place, and that equals wholeness and healing in the presence of Jesus Dallas Willard says, belief is the degree to which one is ready to act if something were true. Right? So unbelief is belief in a lie. Belief is the degree to which one is ready to act as if something were true. So we have to call lies lies. We have to let truth find a home and Jesus come into the spaces that are dark. I'm going to close with what this has looked like from a very dark season for my own soul. So... I guess Jen and I were married about five years and had an opportunity. I was going to a church and they wanted to send me to a seminary type program and immediately doubt, despair, depression. I had constant headaches and I mean, I was absolutely disoriented and this thing that I thought that I wanted to do became like just these doubts began to assail me. What if? What if you're not really called? What if God doesn't show up? What? If, how are you going to take care of all those things? Because at that time, like I mean, I was real familiar with passages like "It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God." You know, those were some of my favorite verses I had underlined. <laughs> yeah, don't recommend that. Um, anyway, it's true, but but that's those are the things that are in my mind and darkness. And this, this really went on for two years. I mean, I shared it with friends. I shared it with mentors. And all they could say is, like, you're going to have to learn to trust God, right? And what that looked like for me was these lies would come, and eventually I could see that they were lies, but they felt true. And until finally I read a scripture in Second Timothy chapter 1 where it said, um, I did not give you a spirit of fear. And every time I got afraid, I said, that's not true. Right? And it's just that simple. But that, it was God's word, like, that's true, finding a place in me and speaking to the circumstances of my life. And we all have dozens and dozens of things. Now, did it, was it easier after that? Yes. Did I have to still fight that same battle? Yes. It took a while do I have to fight that same battle today? Not necessarily. It just looks differently. So, I mean, I just want to, there's real hope and there's real healing, but truth has to find its home in its place in you. And that's what it, that's the value. And there's so much, I do want to take the flip side. There is so much emphasis, I think, in our culture on knowing the word of God. If he could breathe his Holy Spirit and make those things alive inside of us, what a hope we could have. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. I pray that you would do real ministry here among us, that you would set the captives free, that you would help us to believe true things about you, true things about who you say we are, true things about how the world works. Um, I pray that you would begin to expose the lies of the enemy, how they are at work, and they would lose their power. I pray that you would guide and lead this next portion of our service for our good and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.